Jason Whitlock here, filling in for my main man, Uncle Jimmy. Uh, keep Uncle Jimmy in your prayers. Uh, hope to have some good news from him uh, next week. Uh, but, hey, let's review a week of shows, a week of fire starters. On Monday, oh, I came out and blasted Kareem Abdul-Jabbar over his attack on Kyrie Irving and other unvaccinated NBA players. Take a listen to this. Rolling Stone Magazine and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sold out. Oh boy. They're flax for the establishment now, fighting to uphold vaccine conscription. Kyrie Irving is Muhammad Ali, a conscientious objector, resisting an unjust culture war. Over the weekend, Rolling Stone published a long-winded hit piece on Irving and other NBA players who are reluctant to take the experimental COVID vaccines. According to Rolling Stone, anti-vax NBA players are standing in the way of the league imposing a vaccine mandate. This is a bad look for a league that prides itself on being left of Karl Marx. Irving is seen as the leader of the anti-vaxxers who are pushing around the NBA, according to the writer Matt Sullivan. The article painted Irving as a nut job. It criticized him for liking posts from an Instagram account that previously posted messages alleging conspiracy theories against black people. The magazine trotted out 74-year-old Abdul-Jabbar, a 1960s radical who supported Ali, to reprise the role of David Susskind, the 1960s television host who shredded Ali for refusing induction into the military. Saying, quote, this is from Abdul-Jabbar, the NBA should insist that all players and staff are vaccinated or remove them from their team. That's Luau Sellout talking to Rolling Stone. He went on, there's no room for players who are willing to risk the health and lives of their teammates, staff, and the fans simply because they are unable to grasp the seriousness of the situation or do the necessary research. They are failing to live up to the responsibilities that come with celebrity. Athletes are under no obligation to be spokespersons for the government, but this is a matter of public health. 50 years ago, Religious convictions caused Lou Al Cinder to change his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That same man is now driven by celebrity convictions? He's mad athletes are not living up their responsibilities <laughs> as celebrities? Well, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Someone help me out here. What are the responsibilities of celebrities? Are those responsibilities articulated in the Bible, the Quran, the Torah? Maybe it goes something like this. Thou shalt not disagree with the satanic cabal running Hollywood. Thou shalt not be seen as black if you don't vote for Joe Biden. When Democrats are in power, thou shalt inject yourself with experimental drugs without complaint. Is that what, maybe that's in the Quran, the Torah, the, it's not in the Bible that I'm aware of. We'll consult with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. In one breath, Kareem is claiming current NBA players don't grasp the seriousness of the situation. And in the next breath, he's arguing Irving has a duty to live up to the responsibilities 
a celebrity? Is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, is he serious? Is he a serious person? Kareem is allegedly a Muslim. Arguing for the responsibilities of celebrity is the promotion of idolatry, Kareem. Ouch. Islam strictly prohibits idolatry. It's called shirk. As a Muslim or a serious person, Kareem should realize Irving's only duty is to serve God, not celebrity, not the government, not the desires of a 74-year-old sellout. Ali stood against the draft on religious principle, not celebrity principle. When Ali refused induction, he was smeared as a nut job who joined a religious organization, the Nation of Islam, that promoted conspiracy theories against black people. Does any of that sound familiar? A little bit. Kyrie Irving is being treated like Muhammad Ali. Irving, Andrew Wiggins, Jonathan Isaacs, and other unvaccinated NBA players face a similar fate as Ali. Their careers could be halted and cut short. They could lose millions of dollars. Irving plays for Brooklyn. Wiggins plays for Golden State. New York and San Francisco have laws that won't allow unvaccinated athletes to play indoors. Irving and Wiggins could be forced to sit at least half of their games. Here's what Ali told the media years later about his decision to disobey draft orders. Conscious won't let me go shoot my brother. Uh, some darker people, uh, some poor hungry people in the mud, a big powerful America, and shoot them for what? They never call me n****. They never lynch me. They never put no dogs on me. They never rob me of my nationality, rape and kill my mother and father. What, I'm gonna shoot them for what? How can I go shoot them? Them little poor little black people, little babies and children and women. How can I shoot them poor people? I would just take me to jail. Let me rephrase what Irving would say, or let me paraphrase what Irving would say if he channeled his inner Muhammad Ali. My conscience won't let me take the jab or be used as a celebrity influencer to convince black people or poor people to take the jab for big, powerful America. Take the jab for what? COVID never called me a victim. A virus never segregated me to second-class citizenship. Never heard a 29-year-old in as good a shape as me? No one believes Kyrie Irving is jeopardizing his health by refusing the vaccine. He's in peak health. COVID poses no threat to his life. No one really believes the unvaccinated pose a threat to the vaccinated. Vaccinated people are contracting COVID and spreading COVID. The vaccinated want to impose the vaccine on everybody because they've taken the vax. That's it. I did it, so you gotta do it. Hmm. It's the same reasoning that drove the backlash against Ali. No one believed in the Vietnam War. No one saw the war as central to protecting America and American freedom. Vietnam was a propaganda campaign for the military-industrial complex. Ali courageously avoided his celebrity responsibility to participate and refused to participate in that propaganda campaign. 
Kyrie is standing against the pharmaceutical industrial complex that sponsors a high percentage of the advertisements aired during NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball games. Rolling Stone and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they're the sellouts. Now that's a fire. On Tuesday, I moved on and Shaquille O'Neal had some very interesting comments about renouncing being a celebrity. I love Shaq. I supported Shaq. And I had some thoughts about Shaq saying something as important as what Charles Barkley said in that infamous Nike commercial where Charles rejected being a role model. Shaquille O'Neal has handed me a layup. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal has said something that I think is as important as what Charles Barkley said in 1993, nearly 30 years ago, Charles Barkley shook up the sports world by proclaiming in a Nike commercial that he's not a role model. Let me refresh your memory, and particularly for you youngins that weren't around in 1993, here's what Charles Barkley said in a Nike commercial that shook up the world. I am not a role model. I'm not paid to be a role model. I am paid to wreak havoc on the basketball court. Parents should be role models. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. Mm. That was Charles Barkley in 1993. In 2020, just a year ago, uh, for Hillsdale College, I wrote a piece for Empress, the magazine uh, for Hillsdale College. I'm gonna read you an excerpt from it that kind of provides some context to why I think what Barkley said is so important and why I think Shaquille O'Neal basically just doubled down on Barkley's statement and took it to the next level. But let me provide you with a little context from what I wrote a year ago for Empress. Nearly 30 years ago, in a 1993 Nike commercial, professional basketball legend Charles Barkley fired the first shot at the role model concept popularized by Columbia University sociologist Robert K. Merton in the aftermath of the 1960s countercultural movement. Then I go on to quote Barkley, which you just heard there, I'm not a role model, blah, blah, blah. And then I said, Barkley's words landed with a force every bit the equal of former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick's national anthem knee 23 years later. Former Vice President Dan Quayle defended Barkley, while Barkley's fellow NBA superstar Carl Malone criticized him in Sports Illustrated. Leading news magazines, including Time and Newsweek, published articles exploring the controversy. Newspaper columnists from coast to coast, on and off the sports pages, also weighed in. The topic still sparks debate today. Of the many phrases and concepts Merton coined, including self-fulfilling prophecy and unintended consequences, role model has had the most impact. On the surface, the argument that young people tend to model their behavior after high-profile, successful adults is harmless. 
However, in retrospect, the elevation of athletes and other celebrities as primary figures in the formation of behavioral norms for young people helped create the conditions that are powering the destructive Black Lives Matter movement today. Merton's role model concept undercuts the importance of parents and nuclear families. That was the point of Barclay's criticism. So Ivy League professor throws out this role model concept and look where we are today with the social media influencers and LeBron James and other athletes that now are establishing the behavioral norms for America. It's not healthy. It's Will Smith, who I absolutely loved in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, loved what he stood for in hip hop. Look at him now at age 50, coming out with a GQ article uh, talking about that he and Jada Pinkett Smith, his wife, don't practice monogamy and that he thought about hiring and having a harem of girlfriends for their marriage. This is celebrities establishing cultural norms for the rest of us and for American society. This whole concept of role models was like, oh, no, if we just have role models, we don't need parents. Just so again, this is man. No, I've got something better than what God intended. Role models. They can replace support or make up for the lack of proper parenting or the absence of a parent. If we just have role models. And role models is another way of saying celebrities, these false idols. And so I found it fascinating uh, yesterday when it was shared and learned that Shaquille O'Neal, someone that I've long had a lot of respect for, uh, someone that when there was the Shaq-Kobe debate, I always sided with Shaq. I like Shaquille O'Neal. He's not perfect, he's human, he's flawed, he's just like me, you, and everybody else. But what I mostly think is like, Shaq is real. And so here's what Shaq had to say, uh, I think yesterday, or perhaps it was the day before, about celebrity and renouncing his celebrity status. Listen to this. Celebrities are crazy. I don't want to be in that category. They are. They're going freaking insane. Don't call me that anymore. These people are out of their freaking mind. How they treat people, what they do, what they say, that is, that's never been me. I never want to be looked at like that. And you know, all my life, you know, we, we uh, everyone probably gets stereotyped, but us celebrities, uh, we get stereotyped because most of them celebrities are out of their damn mind. Mm. I love this. And I think it's, and by the way, he said this on Friday. I think it's just as powerful and just as important as what Charles Barkley said 23, 24 years ago about not being a role model. It's just as important. It's just as powerful because it's really from the same tree. Celebrities are nuts. They set a bad example for young people. Shaq went on to say 
that basically he just he doesn't want to be a celebrity. He just wants to be seen as a nice person. He I'm going to read a direct quote from further in the interview. I came from nothing, but just because I made it doesn't mean I'm bigger than you, smarter than you. Just because I have more money doesn't mean I'm better than you. I've never been that way and I never will be that way. So I don't want to be in that category of people. The thing I love about this, I've said it for years. We think, oh, whoever's got the most money, they got the most brains. And I've said, no, a lot of times the person with the most money is the person willing to cut the most corners. It's not an indication of intelligence. It just means that person, generally speaking, is more willing to compromise on what they believe in pursuit of money than some people who refuse or are less likely to compromise on their beliefs in pursuit of money. That's not, and, and look, I've done well. I got peers in this business that financially have done far better than me. And so you can hear it as hate, you can hear it as jealousy. I'm just speaking factually. Stephen A. Smith, I think they're saying he makes $12 million a year. If there's a person watching this or a person on the planet who thinks Stephen A. Smith is smarter than me, you're an idiot. And that's not a shot at Stephen A. Smith. I'm not trying to put Stephen A. Smith on blast, but that ain't what, that's not the reason Stephen A. makes $12 million a year. Stephen A. Smith, perhaps more pragmatic about how he'll go about making money. And I'm not saying he's done a bunch of unethical stuff to make money, but there's just certain things I'm not willing to say. There's certain things, there's certain ways I'm not willing to portray myself. There's only, there's only certain, like me shucking and jiving on TV, and I'm not even directly talking about Stephen A. Smith, I'm talking about some other people you see on TV shucking and jiving and lying and, do, and just saying whatever comes out of their mouth, accuse it. I, I saw, I'm gonna I, you know, quit tiptoeing, I'm gonna call names. I saw Ryan Clark from ESPN one day, uh, about a year ago, crying on TV because some woman, some white woman in a drive-through said, called his son the N-word or whatever as she's going through a McDonald's drive-through. And I saw this man crying on TV and I remember calling, I said, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not going to go on national TV and act like some white woman that my son doesn't know and that I don't know could bring me to tears because she called my son a name. I'm not going to do that performance. I'm not gonna fake this outrage and offense that so many other celebrities are willing to do to play a role on TV. You'll never catch me doing what Shannon Sharp does. It just won't happen. I'm not gonna sit on TV and play Malcolm X when Becky Shabazz is always in my bedroom and Betty Shabazz doesn't have my address. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play. 
this. I, I, I want to be careful here because I don't want it to come off like I'm better than them. And because tr trust me, there's sin in my life and I'm not better than anybody. But I just want you to understand something about celebrity and wealth and fame and, and where it really comes from. And a lot of times it comes from a willingness to compromise your beliefs, a willingness to lie and be a fake false person. It ain't me. And that's why you'll hear me criticize a Colin Kaepernick or some of these other clowns that, that are sitting. Colin Kaepernick wouldn't exist except for the benevolence of white people. That white family that adopted him when his white mama and allegedly black daddy didn't want to have anything to do with him, his entire existence is due to that white family. And then to go out here on national TV and why you're in the NFL and act like, oh, America and white people are the worst people on the planet. When again, ain't no Betty Shabazz at his house either. He's got Becky Shabazz. And so all these people that love the fruit and then get on TV and act like they hate the tree, all for a check, all for some celebrity and fame, I ain't with it. And neither is Shaquille O'Neal, he'll never say it as bluntly or as directly as I just said it. But what Shaq is basically saying, he's too real for this celebrity BS that's going on. And I got no <coughs> nothing but respect for Shaquille O'Neal and what he has just said. Love Shack. That's a song, Love Shack. But on Wednesday, I moved on. Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith, their open marriage was the to big topic of discussion on Wednesday. Here's how I got the conversation flowing. So guys, uh, this week, uh, got a little controversial topic for you. Will and Jada Smith, uh, Will Smith, the actor who big fan of and, you know, love the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, what that represented. Love Will's music as a hip hop artist, kept it clean, mm -hmm. made great music, family, everybody could listen to Will Smith's music. Mm -hmm. And so now to see him in his 50s uh, and, and he did an interview with GQ where he talked about uh, that he and Jada don't practice monogamy. And, and one of the first thoughts that came to my mind, and I, you know, I, I wanna tell celebrities like Will Smith and just others, is uh, John Thompson, the great college basketball coach, had this philosophy that he had a public life, a personal life, and a private life. And he's like, my private life is my private life. It's no one else's business. Mm -hmm. and, and it's like, that philosophy must be so old school because we now live in an era where people's private lives are actually content for TV shows and the building of their celebrity and everything must be shared with everybody. And, and it almost seems like you can't get any attention. If, if, if Will Smith wanted to share with GQ, man, me and Jada, we've been monogamous with each other for 25 years and it's the most beautiful thing and here's how it's helped our children. No one would publish that. But 
if you say, you know, I had fantasies about having a harem of women, including Holly Berry, and we haven't practiced monogamy, and we kind of do what we want, it gets all kinds of promotion. And so I, I just, I wanted to have a conversation with you guys, just an explanation, because I think a lot of people, and I used to be in this camp uh, for a long time, like, hey, we got condoms, you got birth control, there's no penalty for promiscuity, I would tend to think you guys have a different narrative on that. Mm -hmm. And so why perhaps is what Will sharing is wrong and why does God ask us to not be promiscuous? Anthony and I were talking about this on the way up, so I'm gonna let him go first. Uh, I just wanna have this conversation like Will was watching because he has uh, so many redeeming qualities about the guy, like you said, and I personally really like him. He's one of my favorites, but it's so sad. It, I read that interview and it's so sad. Uh, it's sad because he talks about, you know, having to work through his Christian upbringing so that he's free now and it's tragic. Anyway, Anthony, jump in, brother. You know, uh, I want to pick back off of what you said that Coach Thompson said about public and, and private and personal. What you find now in today's culture is that things that ought to be private are now made public. And things that should be public, like your faith, are pushed back into the private realm. So we've gotten that all twisted up. Wow, I didn't think about that. <laughs> certainly, certainly. So as you pointed out, not just having a good private life or a good marriage that has been, you know, had longevity, now we have to deal into things that are outside of the bounds of marriage. And what I personally see from it, not just with Will, you know, you had uh, here recently, there was the show about the guy who had sister wives. You know, it was, I think his name is Cody Brown. There's this idea that we just do with marriage what we want. And biblically speaking, just to be very simple, God established two entities or two institutions that are powerful in his creation. First institution God established is marriage. The second most powerful one like unto it is the church. And Paul in Ephesians 5 relates both of them together when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. At the end of that, he says, I'm also talking about the church. So when the enemy attacks marriage, attacks the church, it's an affront to God. So we, we have to take it serious. And so this whole idea with doing with marriage, you know, what you want. I, I looked at, I'll give a couple of them and let Bobby go, but I looked at some of the things that Will said about it. And it doesn't seem like this is happy. He says one of his quotes in that article, we have given each other trust and freedom with the belief that everybody has to find their own way. And marriage for us can't be a prison. And I don't suggest our road for anybody. I don't suggest this road for anybody. Why are you still on the road if you don't suggest it? Like, why would you keep pushing that if this is something that causes, if you relate it to a prison? The only thing that I know about prison, and I remember this growing up, prison is a place I don't want to be. So if you describe your marriage as a prison or we can't make it like a prison, then this is something that you really didn't want. It doesn't sound like they're really happy about it. I think this is something that they are enduring, but it's not how God designed us. Mm. 
Well, this is a big topic, so let's let's. You want this to be uh, Tennessee Harmony, where <laughs> Harmony is built around uh, the roots of our nation. We just want to say that again, that uh, the best of the nation was built around a Judeo-Christian foundation. And so let's let's just talk about that, because Will is explicitly saying that he had to work through his Christian upbringing. Like, he's got to reject that and free himself from that so that now he practices polyamory. His daughter uh, met with, uh, you know, his wife on the red table discussions they have, and she talked about, yeah, my thing is polyamory. I think that, you know, being with several people at the same time, that's, that's kind of the way to go. And here's the thing that I thought of, Jason. I thought of uh, back before God revealed himself to Moses, when the Israelites were in Egypt, he gave a list of all the, the sexual sins that people naturally gravitate to without God's direction. Mm -hmm. And so this list includes uh, having sex with your mother, having sex with your sister, having sex with multiple people at the same time, having sex with animals, and all of this stuff. And I just wanted to say, okay, if you're freeing yourself from the restraints of judo-christian heritage where's it gonna end up mm. and on thursday i followed up with more on will smith and how he needed to take the advice from the legendary college basketball coach john thompson who professed that every public figure needs to have a public life a personal life and a private life listen to this john thompson the legendary college basketball coach had a great philosophy about his life as a public figure. He told his biographer that all humans should have three lives, a public life, a personal life, and a private life. Thompson believed private lives should remain private even in death. Modern popular culture has turned our private lives into a resource a content commodity to be mined for, current, for the currency most coveted by television networks, YouTube channels, social media apps, and print publications. Spectacle. That explains entertainer Will Smith's decision to use his private sex life as a promotional fodder for a GQ story. In an article entitled, Introducing the Real Will Smith, Smith discusses he and his wife's arrangement to live a non-monogamous sex life. He also discusses his conversations with a therapist and working through his fantasies of having a sexual harem of women. Modern American culture defines this kind of public transparency as healthy. I don't. I believe in the John Thompson model. Yesterday, when discussing the Smith story with two ministers on my podcast, this one right here, Fearless with Jason Whitlock, Pastor Anthony Walker made a fascinating observation. Not only have we gone overboard sharing our private lives, Pastor Walker remarked, what should be public has been made private, including our faith. We've turned the world upside down. We wear our sexual, political, and medical identities on our sleeves, and we hide our Christian faith. Sex, politics, and medicine should all be private. They used to be private. 
We have all sorts of laws protecting our medical privacy. But now the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, wears a vax necklace the way Christians used to wear a cross. Anybody remember, you know, we created voting booths to protect our political privacy. Now many Americans list their political affiliation at the top of their social media bios. Our political and sexual identities, along with our vaccination status, take precedence over our religious affiliation. The left sees this as progress. I see it as the destruction of the values that held families, this country, and Western civilization together. Our healthy cultural norms have been under attack for decades. Now I'll grant you, we had some very unhealthy cultural norms that needed to be eliminated. But we're in the process of overcorrecting. Not all change is good change. <clears throat> I watch football on Sundays, and I see NFL players with the words, inspired change, mounted on the back of their helmets. <clears throat> Have they put any real thought into what they want change? Have they fallen for the myth that everything about America must change? I don't want to live in a world where every aspect of human life is content to be exploited. 30 years ago, MTV launched The Real World, a reality show dedicated to human spectacle. The show suspended reality and stuffs seven strangers inside a luxury home loaded with cameras and microphones. The purpose was to document and expose the private lives of the participants for the titillation of a much larger group of strangers called an audience. <clears throat> a PBS documentary produced two decades earlier, An American Family, inspired MTV's version of a real world. An American Family was a 12-episode doc that captured the life of a California couple, Bill and Pat Lau, and their five children. Shot over a six-month period in 1971, the documentary climaxed twice. First, when the Lau's oldest child, Lance, announced he was gay. And a second time when Pat Lau asked her husband of 21 years for a divorce. The 1973 airing of An American Family was a test run for television's normalizing celebration and exploitation of family dysfunction. The seeds planted in 1973 not only birthed the real world, they conceived The Sopranos and Six Feet Under and Succession. Howard Cunningham and James Evans, the iconic dads from Happy Days and Good Times, could not exist in today's television universe. In order to be icons, we would need to explore their sins and flaws. They would need to snort coke, bed whores, and murder to become icons. Tony Soprano and Walter White, they are the modern day Ward Cleaver and Mike Brady. You remember Ward and Mike from Leave it to Beaver and Brady Bunch? Will Smith reached icon status playing the role of Fresh Prince and making rap music for the whole family. He became the most marketable star in Hollywood. Now in his 50s, I expected Smith to transition into a respected elder statesman, the role Bill Cosby tried to play before his private life cast him as a predator. 
It appears Will Smith doesn't want that responsibility, or perhaps the gatekeepers won't allow him to take that role. Or maybe it's as simple as he's doomed by his marital choice. Smith grew up a Christian. He married a woman, Jada Pinkett, who doesn't share his religious values. He acknowledged in the GQ story that he bowed to her non-traditional view of marriage and sex. A year ago, in what could be fairly described as a humiliation ritual, Jada brought Will to her Red Table talk show and made him discuss her affair with a 27-year-old child. Jada doesn't believe in a private life, so neither can Will Smith. Good stuff there. Better stuff on Friday. Super Bowl halftime show. Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige. Who could complain about that? Me. Me. We got lyrical pornographers as the face of the Super Bowl halftime show. That ain't right. That ain't good. Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. They're the Hugh Hefner and Larry Flint of rap music. They're pornographers, all four of them. Hefner and Flint dominated the visual form of pornography. Dre and Snoop earned fame and fortune dominating lyrical pornography. You'll hear that as a harsh rebuke of the four horsemen of smut. But I am not a hypocrite. I wrote for Playboy magazine. In June of 2008, my name appeared on its cover alongside a lovely photo of a model, Jade Nicole. Years ago, I attended two parties at Hefner's Mansion. I've socialized with women who graced the magazine's pages. Dr. Dre is the only celebrity who has made me feel starstruck. His mastery of music and beat amazes me. In the 1990s, I shook his hand at a Mike Tyson fight and mumbled a few words, signifying my astonishment and admiration. I don't have a problem with Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Hugh Hefner, or Larry Flint. At one time, I adored and supported their work. Even today, in all honesty, and you guys know I keep it real, I'd have to categorize their art as an occasional guilty pleasure a sin of solitude and seclusion. I do, however, have a problem with Dre and Snoop performing at halftime of the Super Bowl. Pornography and pornographers are unworthy of America's biggest stage. Yesterday, the NFL announced Dre, Snoop, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, and R&B singer Mary J. Blige will perform at halftime of Super Bowl 56. The announcement was greeted as a historic moment of progress, a triumphant landmark in black culture. The country's strongest pop culture force, the NFL, the number one TV show on five different television networks, wrapped its arms around commercial hip hop music. The conservative and previously traditional NFL embraced the musical genre that defines the liberal NBA. Free at last, free at last. Thanks Sodom and Gomorrah, the NFL will let lyrical pornography blast. We can only hope that censors won't stop Dre, Snoop, Slim Shady, and Kendrick from repeatedly shouting 
bitch, hoe, in front of 100 million Americans. Or maybe a Black Lives Matter flag will fly as Dre brags about never hesitating to put a on his back as gunfire blares in the background. This is not progress. This is not a great moment in American history, NFL history, or black history. The Super Bowl halftime will be a satanic ritual, a celebration of America's moral decay. I'm not saying that as an outsider, as someone with a severe disdain for hip hop music. I'm saying it as an insider. I'm saying it because I know the music quite well. I own virtually every song Dr. Dre ever produced. I know Snoop's catalog of music nearly as well. The same goes for Eminem. It's a musical collection of old Playboy and Hustler magazines. It's hedonism, materialism, immorality, and violence in rhyme form set to music. It's the soundtrack for a movie about Babylon. How did this happen? How did a country founded in Judeo-Christian values come to legitimize pornography and allow pornographers to sit atop our cultural throne? throne? Hefner and Flint never occupied the space Dre, Snoop, and Jay-Z shared. Despite their wealth, Hefner and Flint remained outsiders. They weren't public friends with presidents like Jay-Z and Barack Obama. They weren't center stage at major mainstream cultural events like Super Bowl 56. They were kept in their lane. They were pornographers, guilty pleasures to be experienced in the shadows. Hefner and Flint did not have the right complexion for the connection white liberals have afforded black rappers. The left has cleverly established race as America's new religion of choice, replacing Christianity. Black is the highest denomination of the left's race religion. Their doctrine argues that bowing to blackness is a righteous and responsible response to America's history of racism. Anything framed as black cannot be chastised, criticized, or shunned. To do so would be blasphemous and racist. Through hip hop, pornography has been wrapped in black packaging. Through hip hop, a self-destructive culture has been wrapped in black packaging. Music that promotes the degradation and exploitation of black people has been framed as the salvation and glorification of black people. No one can safely challenge this despicable orthodoxy. I watched a white female host on the NFL Network celebrate alongside Michael Irvin the announcement that Dre and Snoop would host the Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show. As she heard Snoop rap, that bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks, lick on these nuts and suck Does she remember Dre's lyrics on the NWA song, One Less Bitch? We're in the Me Too era and everyone is going to catch amnesia about Dr. Dre's violent assault on Dee Barnes in the 1990s. That's the power of the race religion. Dr. Dre is black. His history of violence towards women is irrelevant. Look, I'm all about forgiveness and people moving past their mistakes. I've certainly been allowed to move by, beyond mine. 
But Dre's 2015 album, Compton, featured Eminem rapping about making the women he rapes orgasm. The race religion is killing America. The Alphabet Mafia, BLM, LGBTQ, CRT, has wrapped every issue in black packaging. Earlier this week, Playboy magazine promoted a bunny outfit using a young black man as the model. The gay and transgender issues have been framed as a black issue. We're being used to promote causes that defy God and the principles taught in the Bible. But you go right ahead and celebrate Dre and Snoop performing at halftime of the Super Bowl. Keep being a useful idiot in the race religion. Black power, baby. Have at it. All right, that's it and that's all from me. Enjoy your weekend. And keep my guy Uncle Jimmy in your prayers.